This is Live Well Talk on Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome in Children, Part 2. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unity Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Returning today to the studio is Dr. Dilly Bertel to follow up on Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome in Children uh, and to also give his perspective of the condition from a pediatric cardiologist. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. So the last time we met, uh, it, the name was changing. You know, yes. now we've settled on this uh, uh, Missy. Multi-system inflammatory syndrome of children. Tell us, have we had more cases here at St. Luke's? So uh, we've not had any new cases at St. Luke's, and uh, now as this has been well recognized, and almost every state have been already reporting, and uh, lots of case studies have been published. So we have more data now than what we were discussing almost three weeks back. When one of your colleagues, Dr. O'Connor, mentioned who's a pediatric hospitalist, mentioned that it can go up into the twenties. Yes. What what have you have you heard of that as well? Yes, we've heard about that. You know, so there are colleagues in New York, you know, the East Coast who had the major series, you know, large series of cases, and they have uh, mentioned about these young adults are having the similar findings. You know, like having involvement of the multi-system inflammatory, and they are not typically presenting as like what the COVID primary COVID illness. So um, so we've been getting them, and they're responding to IVIG. You know, the way that we're treating this C. So that also confirms the unusual thing about the MIS-C is like apart from the primary COVID is the uh, initial diagnosis of like you're getting these abdominal symptoms and the cardiac involvement like hypovolemic uh, or sometimes distributive shock, you know, that's the presentation. And uh, since we last uh, talked about this, we had a, another kid here, but we didn't really confirm this as the PCR was positive, but behave almost like MIS-C responded to treatment and that multiple other comorbidities, so we didn't label it as, but he did uh, respond to the treatment that we did. And the treatment's still IVIG? Yes, that's like uh, we're using as IVIG as a first-line treatment. And uh, in some cases, we're adding the steroids and depending on uh, risk groups, you know. Yeah, for, there for a while, you know, we had a hard time getting IVIG. Uh, there had been a shortage and uh, we, it's still not plentiful but not like it was, and this is prior to COVID, yeah, yeah. Uh, with significant shortage, but so that's reassuring that we do have the supplies that we, we have. Have have you heard in any case reports of any sort of sequel or, or, or long-term side effects? So the, we, we have not heard, you know. People I know it's too soon, now. but you It's know. too soon, but there have been lots of, um, as you've heard about primary COVID and neurological outcomes, right? You know, so that's our worry is that, but we've not really heard. It's really too soon to know about that, neurological outcomes. And apparently the cardiac involvement, myocarditis, they have a acute involvement and they resolve. And we are postulating from other um, acute myocarditis that if they resolve, you know, the chances of scarring and long-term cardiomyopathy is less. So okay. we're hoping that is an acute phenomenon and that gets better uh, with the initial treatment. We do, don't know much about just it. Just for my own knowledge, do, do children get Cardiomyopathy, cardiomyopathy, yes, like they adults do. do. Same they sort do. of they do, yeah. phenomenon. Okay. Yes, they do. And uh, interestingly, um, the viral myocarditis or cardiomyopathy, we do see, and they respond to treatment, and uh, rarely that we see any chronic uh, sequelae from that, you know. Yeah. In adults, you know, we always, we treat them, but we always rule out multivessel coronary artery disease yeah. Yeah. just because it could sublimely present the same way. You don't have to do that in children. No, we don't have to do that in children. And, and the baseline in, in children that we can see those two 
common arteries, three vessels, left anterior and left and right main coronary, easily we can see through the echocardiogram. And we assume that if those proximal vessels are good, that there is no distal uh, involvement. That's the assumption. That's how oh, really? we I didn't know that. Screen. So in children, you can actually see the see coronary those coronaries vessels. pretty well in the proximal course of them. Huh. So that's why you know we don't do the fancy invasive test, you know, like the cardiac. Right, yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't do those. That's a nice pearl to know. What, at what age do they do they lose that where you can't? I see mean, that? that depends on you know. Sometimes you know, even 13, 14 year old, we could see, and if depending on the body habitus, you know, and the long right. lungs, you know, and that sometimes is very. Either extreme, you know, if, if you are very thin, it's difficult after adolescence year, or if you are elevated BMI, or if you are overweight, then we can't get the good window to look those uh, coronaries. Right, right. So I've had to do the CT and just to look for anatomy in like eight or nine year old, which is very unusual. Right. You know? I mean, for us, like 14, 15 year old, we do see the proximal coronaries pretty well. Back, back to the inflammatory syndrome we talked about, or this podcast was the impetus for it. Is, was there any predisposition pattern that has been recognized as far as certain no. children more susceptible? No, we've not uh, got that, you know, not, uh, not in any series that is published so far that I'm aware that any kids, you know, who have underlying certain conditions are more prone. We don't have that data. And uh, so far, we're postulating from the same Kawasaki type illness, right? right Kawasaki right. disease, and it's the dysregulation of the autoimmune system hyper-response to the post-infectious process. So we, we are extrapolating that data and we assume and presume that's the case with MISC, MISC as well. And, that, and that, that's, that's been the issue with the COVID or SARS-2 yeah. is that there's so much observational data yeah. that is not going to be supported in the long run yeah. that short-term people are trying to make decisions on, it, including myself. Yeah. I mean, that's just the nature of a pandemic, I guess, but that, that has been a tough thing to, to weed through, hasn't it? No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, to, um, to extrapolate the data and try to implement and, and treat your patients from that basis, and it's always that unknown there. Right. And, um, and likewise, you know, we've been getting multiple calls right now from our primaries to our, especially our hospitalist team, and they're getting at least one to two calls, worrying about this condition, are we missing that, you know? because we don't have a specific single blood test to say, oh yeah, this is MISC or not. I'm glad that um, our community is aware of this. And yeah, absolutely. Up the phone. And on the other hand, you know, we're, yes, we're getting multiple calls. You know, I would rather have multiple calls than miss a, a diagnosis and have a severely ill child, you know, who may or may not make it. Right. So, Which is always, I, as an adult doctor looking, when I have had to go out of my, comfort zone take care of kids you know they they can they can present very ill yeah. but then get better within the hour absolutely and um absolutely. you know so it's easy to not take things serious at times with children absolutely and this has been like you know as this mystery has been mostly emphasized on that you know how ill they look is is this kid you know if you were not in this mystery situation or any other time would you admit this kid? You know, right. I would really right. like our primary providers to think that way. Is this kid looking sick enough for you to admit? If you feel your clinical judgment is that, yeah, this kid looks sick, you know, then have a low threshold to get this kid admitted, observe, and do whole full panel of the lab work. That will help us to guide whether or not it is, you know. Right. So, and then, you know, and then if they are a well-looking child, then we can always do daily follow-up and visit. The question comes, you know, which 
one of these kids that you are going to do the lab work, you know, and how far you do the extensive lab work. And then we end up having this, some inflammatory markers, which are borderline, which you don't know what to make out of that. So we've had a few cases like that as well, uh, since we had this podcast, last podcast, that um, some kids have been investigated and the lab works are a little elevated. They don't, they don't, we don't have a plausible diagnosis and we're worried, you know, we're continuously monitoring and ended up most likely those were viral infections. Right. So what we need to bear in mind is common childhood illness. Common childhood illnesses are more common than MISI. It's still rare since last three weeks. We have not had a single another case. You know, so yeah, we may be getting more cases, but we should not be thinking that every, everything we see is messy. Right. Every, every kid with the fever is not messy. We have certain criteria that CDC has published, and we know a lot already. Yes, they need to have fever, lethargy, abdominal pain, diarrhea symptoms, and any involvement, skin rash. And uh, those are the common pattern that we're noticing on these kids. And unlike, refresh my memory, they, do they get thrombocyte low platelet counts? They basically borderline low platelet count. Okay. And that's basically, um, we, call, we say that, you know, platelet count is 200 to 450, you know, to normal. And they are hovering around 135, Okay, so not like so uh, Henox, Sholem, Purpura, where they no. obviously uh, have Purpura, okay. but yeah. also skin rash, but yeah. drop yeah. there. Because so, that has abdominal pain as well, right? Yes, absolutely. It, yeah. HSP has, uh, yes, yeah. um, abdominal pain. And, um, but the HSP kids are very well-looking kids. And right. if we are looking into their distribution of the RAS, is very typical distribution, low, lower than the bottom line, and then if any extremities would be on the extensor surfaces. So not on the trunk. Usually, the Usually common trunk is trunk and, and there's a seasonal variant to that, right? Absolutely. Like the fall, Absolutely. I think? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's, well, that's pretty good recall yeah. for a, Yeah, know, absolutely. Doctor. You know, I completely forgot about it. It's yeah, been 20 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> see, you know. Uh, well, that, this, this is really great information. Again, this was Dr. Dilly Bertel from UniPoint Pediatric Cardiology. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for the COVID-19 pandemic, please uh, uh, shoot us an email at stlukescr at unipoint.org. In the meantime, wash your hands, cover your cough, and confine yourself if you're ill and uh, practice social distancing.